Good morning, all souls. We are continuing this morning in our series on Jesus' manifesto of how to be human under the reign of God, otherwise known as the Sermon on the Mount. We are in chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, where Jesus encourages us to take up a posture of asking and searching with our knuckles to the door as we come to God in prayer. And this is coming just after a section in which he is talking about how we relate to one another, how we can offer help to others in a way that leads to restoration. And the connection between the two is that there is a great deal of overlap between the horizontal and the vertical planes of relationship. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now, God, we ask that you would come upon us in spirit and in truth, that in hearing your word, we may be transformed into your likeness. We ask this in the name of the one who is the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, as I mentioned just a minute ago, for the last several weeks, Jesus has been focusing his words on our relationships with others. All relationships require work, uh, whether that is uh, marriage, parenthood, friendship, co-workers, even our pets. Our dog Snowball lets me know uh, whenever it is that I'm not giving her the attention she wants and she looks at me with those puppy dog eyes and I know I am up against a fundamental force of the universe. When I resist and I don't give her the attention that she wants, I feel awful. Jesus does not want us to experience our life with God that way. He wants us to experience the relationship in its fullness. And so he turns our attention again to prayer. According to people who research the religious landscape of the world, this week, more people will pray than will exercise, drive a car, or even go to work. And that was true pre-pandemic, definitely true while more people are working from home and driving less. Nine out of ten people say that they pray on a regular basis, though only eight out of ten actually claim to believe in God. To get a brief read on the terrain, check out this video from a church in London. Do I pray? Yeah, I do pray. No, I never pray. Sometimes with my granny because she's, she believes. I do pray. Yeah, I pray every night before I go to sleep. I talk to myself a lot. I've prayed before. I have to pray every now and then. When I was a child, I prayed, yes. When I pray, I just feel totally at ease and calm, to be honest with you. Because my school, like, we had assembly and they made, they made us, like, sit there and pray. No, I, I've never prayed to a higher being or a something more powerfully than me. I prayed, I guess, because I was younger, just to, for God to 
keep watch over my family. Maybe before an exam, if I'm nervous, it's like that. I prayed for people to get better. I prayed for um, success in my life. That sounds a bit greedy. I pray for the people that I love. I pray for things that I want to happen. I pray that I can find my remote control. <laughs> that always worked. Uh, if something really bad happens, you'll see me on my knees. <laughs> I love the guy who caught himself stream of consciousness and thought, oh, that sounds a bit greedy. Jesus wants us to assume the posture when we come to the God whom he called Father with the expectancy of a child who knows the love and care of a parent. And it is hard for a lot of us to get that. Uh, we pray like we are adding things to a cosmic Amazon wish list. Internet was out at our house on Wednesday. We were doing a home learning pod with a couple kids in the neighborhood. And so in the absence of a lesson, my daughter and her friends started to write down their Christmas list. Kids, how many of you like making Christmas lists? Parents, how many of you like making Christmas lists? I mean, requests are good. But parents, you know this, as your kids have gotten older, uh, how many conversations have you had with them where you need to remind them that you are in fact a person and not an ATM machine? And of course, you want to provide for your children. But you also want to have a relationship with them where they are at least a little curious about who you are and not just what you will give. Welcome to God's world. In his book, A Praying Life, Paul Miller writes, Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. Many people struggle to learn how to pray because they are focusing on praying and not on God. That is, they are praying as a kind of technique instead of out of a deep relationship. Within his teaching, Jesus casts off two common ideas that a lot of us hold. And first, he is throwing out altogether the idea that God is this kind of capricious deity out there who you can only access if you, you know, somehow manage to punch in the right prayer code. Now, Jesus introduces us to a God who is not dragging his feet to bless people, but instead to a God whom he addresses with the intimacy of the word Father. And again, like I said a few weeks ago, I know that for some of us that word is kind of a, a painful picture or even maybe a barrier to you, particularly if you grew up in a home that was abusive uh, or where dad just kind of wasn't in the picture. But when Jesus uses this image, it is not to reinforce the male dominance of the ancient Near East as much as it is to shake up and kind of reimagine what a father's love looks like. In his reflections on the parable of the prodigal son, the Egyptian scholar Ibrahim Said wrote, the shepherd in his search for the sheep and the woman in the search for her coin did not do anything out of the ordinary beyond what anyone in their place would do. But the actions the father takes in the third story are unique marvelous divine actions which have not been done by any father in the past. And so this is not a patriarchal image, but one that is meant to convey the mysteries of the nature of a God whose love and compassion and goodness and care and forgiveness know no bounds at all. When you enter into prayer, you are praying 
to one who is already for you, who does not need to be convinced or flattered into offering blessing. The God that Jesus prays to, who he invites us to pray to, is not waiting for us to beg for scraps from the kitchen table, but is instead one who invites us to the feast in the dining room. And it is with this image in mind of a parent who longs to give good gifts to his children that Jesus invites us to ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. I mean, I can't think of a more wide open or wonderful invitation in the Bible. I mean, who can make the ask? Anyone. For what can they ask? I don't see any limitations. Now, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, right, but you've got to ask for the right things. You need to ask with the right posture of your heart. I mean, I instinctively sort of want to qualify this obscenely generous, open-ended promise that Jesus makes. But the problem is, Jesus doesn't say any of those things. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then to illustrate this, Jesus gives the example of a child who asks for bread and a piece of fish. As kind of a general observation, parents want to provide for their children. They want to give them all that they need to flourish, to live joyful, meaningful, faithful lives. It's not a burden for parents to do this. It is a joy for parents to provide. It's something that they actually love doing. Jesus actually doubles down on this image a little bit later when a boy brings a loaf and fish to him and he provides 5,000 plus room for seconds. Now, if you're like me, you, you hear this and you think, right, but what's the catch? I had a friend who was a member of Club 33 at Disneyland. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. I had been to Disneyland dozens of times. At one point, I had an annual pass. And when this friend kind of mentioned offhandedly about her membership, I really had no idea what she was talking about. Basically, it is one of the most exclusive five-star restaurants in the world. There is a like $20,000 initiation fee, annual dues of at least that much, a 10-year waiting list, that kind of thing. Hidden away behind Pirates of the Caribbean, there is this club for high rollers and A-listers, and apparently my friend was one of them. It's a thing, you can Google it. Anyway, this friend, who was apparently very wealthy, but not the kind of person who was obnoxious about it, mentioned to me offhandedly one day that if I ever wanted tickets to Disneyland, just ask, they always had extra tickets. And so when I asked her, you know, just kind of out of curiosity, why was she flush with these Disney tickets? She mentioned that they were members of this club and that was one of the perks. In the six years that I knew them, how many times do you think I asked? One time. And I have to tell you, it was the least elegant kind of, oh, hey, uh, I don't want to bother you. I know you're super busy. It's December and all. But, you know, if you happen to have one of those extra tickets to Disneyland just lying around, it would mean a whole lot to my kids. Mackenzie's birthday is coming up. But, you know, don't, don't worry. Really, don't want to bug you. Can't do it. Don't worry. Thought I'd just check. Okay. Bye. 
Got to take back the next day. Sure. Just tell us today. Give him our name at the gate. He'll be good to go. That was it. Can I tell you, I was actually pretty skeptical until the moment that I was in the park. I was not skeptical of my friend, really, but I was not sure that it was really going to be as simple as all that. And I think that my failure to ask came from two main reasons. And the first is that I just assumed that I would be a nuisance. I didn't want to do that. When I was a kid, it was like drummed into me never to ask for things when I visited a friend, but to wait for things to be offered. I did not want this friend to think that I was only in it for the swag, and so I had this kind of reflexive uh, reluctance to bother her. And secondly, I did not want to be selfish. I mean, I could pay for tickets and I could take my family to Disneyland myself. This friend was deeply involved in one of our recovery ministries, and so I figured, you know, there's not going to be any shortage of people that she could bless with these tickets. And so to my mind, those were two good reasons for not taking my friend up on my offer. And some of you are thinking, what is the matter with you? Fair question, I could give you a list. And honestly, something that I never considered was that she and her husband really wanted to be able to be generous. They did not need to be convinced this wasn't a nuisance to them. It actually made them happy to give us the gift of a day at the park. And who knows? I mean, maybe they actually did have this ridiculous amount of tickets that they could give away, and I was not the only one that they made the offer to. All I know is that every time I decided not to ask, I put myself in the position of managing their generosity. And so, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus is telling us that it is not selfish to ask our Father for things. Maybe it is the natural thing that children are meant to do. Maybe, in fact, our stubborn refusal to ask God makes God wonder why we take this false posture of secrecy in communicating what really is actually on our hearts and minds. Truth is, we are creatures who need the help that God is willing to provide rather than asking for what we truly need, rather than desiring what God is able to give, we just kind of end up settling for lesser things. And yeah, there are all kinds of ways that we can miss the meaning, that we can abuse the spirit of generosity that Jesus says is available to us. Jesus says, your father knows your needs before you ask, and most of us, myself included, draw this really fuzzy line sometimes between those things that are good for us and good for others and the wants that may or may not bring about the goodness characteristic of the kingdom. James 4, 2, and 3 actually has some pretty stern words about asking for, the same, uh, for these wrong kinds of things. He writes, You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And I, I mentioned that just really quickly because Jesus' picture is not like a genie in a bottle who's going to grant whatever you ask. It's that of a parent. And kids, you're just going to have to trust me on this one. Sometimes saying no is actually proof of your parents' love not its absence. Sometimes they want to offer you something more, something better. 
And that's what it means to trust. But I think for most of us, the problem isn't that we spend all our time asking for the wrong things. It's rather that we aren't eager enough or bold enough to ask for the right things. And hear me on this, by right things, I mean the things that we need every day, the things that God is just as concerned about as we are. You need to know that God is not overwhelmed by COVID-19. He's not overwhelmed by a strained government dealing with a heated election or by storms or by wildfires or by injustice. And while these things grieve God, Jesus does not give us the picture of an unstable dictator who has to be flattered and coddled before he'll hear our case or the picture of a fast-talking bureaucrat shuffling our concerns from one department to another in a kind of shell game that hopes we won't notice. No, he is giving us the image of a father who has all the time for us that we need. And as we become more secure in our relationship, we'll trust more and more. As we grow in relationship and as we grow into the family name, we will increasingly take on God's concerns for the brokenness of the world. We will want to pray for others more than for ourselves. We will want to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we will trust that as we pray, we can also trust that God will provide what we need for this day. So why do we hold back? My first year in ministry, I went to the hospital um, in Donegal, I guess it was, um, to visit a man named Cyril McCready, who suffered from this kind of lung disease that left him unable to do really much of anything without this kind of uh, supply of oxygen nearby. And despite all this, he was in good spirits always, always eager to talk about soccer or rugby, um, and after I spent some time with him and, and some conversation, on this first visit, I asked him, can we pray together? He was happy to do so. And so as I kind of went into it, I, I prayed that he would have the strength to endure, come what may, that he would have the courage to face what lay ahead. I prayed for wisdom for the medical staff that cared for him. And I said, amen. And I opened my eyes. And after a while, he opened his eyes as well. And as we said our goodbyes, he asked me, he said, uh, thank you. Thank you for coming to see me. I haven't had anyone to visit in quite some time. But do me a favor. On your next visit, will you pray that God will heal me? And it was one of those moments where my doubt was just kind of totally exposed. I spent a lot of time as I was driving back uh, thinking about all the times that I had prayed at bedsides for friends with cancer who never recovered. I thought about the time that I made this agonizing decision to send a student home from summer camp and then found out that he had been in a car accident on the way home. And I remember the whole camp was gathering together, praying earnestly for his recovery, only to find out the next day that he had died. I remember how hard it was to actually explain to his grieving parents why I sent him home. And I realize that sometimes I've not prayed because it seemed like my asking, my seeking, my knocking has been met with silence. 
and I realized that I kind of built up this kind of wall in my prayer life from this desire to protect myself and to protect others from disappointment. And I'm not saying that had I prayed for him that Cyril would have gotten better. I did pray for him. He didn't get better. But he very gently reminded me that I'm not in a position to decide for God. I am simply to trust and ask with the expectation that God desires what is good. I say that he didn't get better. But in the New Testament, the word used for healing and the word used for salvation are actually one and the same. And salvation is always when the fullness of the kingdom is on display. Over the next few months, I got to know Cyril pretty well. He told me about the strain between he and his son. And in addition to praying for his body, we prayed that God would bring about restoration in that relationship. Some weeks we would be encouraged by the progress he seemed to be making. Other weeks, we wouldn't. One day, as Cyril's body was losing its fight, his son did come to visit. And as they cried together and they made amends, God may not have brought about healing, but he brought his kingdom. In calling us his children, God has given us a home with dignity, with power, and like a father, God longs to give us all that we need, but sometimes that doesn't mean that all that we seek will be given in the ways that we expect. As N.T. Wright says, some of the wisest thinkers of today's church have cautiously concluded that as God's kingdom comes, it isn't God's will to bring it all at once. We couldn't bear it if he did. God is working like an artist with difficult material and prayer is the way some of that material cooperates with the artist instead of resisting him. How exactly that all plays out is a mystery that we won't understand until the day that earth and heaven are one. Over the years, I have prayed earnestly for healing. And sometimes I have seen God bring physical restoration. But I have always seen God bring the hope and power of his kingdom. And so we come this morning and always knuckles to the door in the trust that our Father knows our need. We come with our hopes and our longing centered on the kingdom that he has promised. And as we now come to the table, we see how in Jesus God has brought the hope and power of the kingdom to us. This broken bread and poured out wine are for those who confess Jesus as Lord and King, a sign and a seal of God's promise. And so as we come to the table, let us pray. The Lord be with you. Now lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together in an open room. And after he gave thanks, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, after he'd eaten, he took the cup. He poured it out, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take all of you and drink of it. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And so it is that whenever we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim his dying until he comes again. And so together, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Come, friends, the table is set. May this meal strengthen us until the day when the future is made presence, where strife and disease are ended, where we will feast and weep no more. Amen.